and welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, the song that played me in is titled Whisper Skits. It is from the album By the Beach, and that is by Beagles, which is made up of two great artists, Lee Baggett and Kyle Field, and they're my guests today. Uh, as you may know, Kyle Field is in in Little Wings, or is Little Wings, and Lee Baggett has played with Little Wings a lot, and they also did this project, Beagles, a while ago. And uh, all Beagles, Little Wings, Lee Baggett, constantly being played on my on my turntable. Also, two of my, or three, technically, of my more popular episodes were my two-part episodes with Kyle Field of Little Wings. And then later, Kyle and I did a... Uh, episode where he interviewed me for my 200th episode, also a very popular episode, and Lee Baggett. I get comments on these episodes all the time, so I thought, why not bring them together for one great episode? Sort of like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup or an Oreo cookie of podcast greatness. I don't know if any of those worked, but I'm going to keep recording this intro because I've done it about ten times, because I fuck up each time, and I've made a mistake. And speaking of one of the mistakes I made, I forgot to mention. Lee Baggett, no judgment here, and we talk about this, not the most technically proficient individual in the world. I'm no one to judge on this matter. But he kept dropping out of the calls. He kept dropping out of the call, so he had to keep calling back, and I would let him in. A lot of fancy editing on this episode, but a little bit of that I kept in, because there was humor, and Kyle Field being very funny, uh, which is who you hear at the top of the interview, Kyle and I discussing something. Uh, so I just wanted to let that you know that so you're not like, why are they discussing him? Because just hang in there. There's a lot of great stuff in this episode. I'm really, really grateful. Uh, by the way, both Little Wings and Lee ba- both of Lee Baggett's album, uh, recent albums are out on Perpetual Doom. Kyle Field has an album, or Little Wings has an album, called Rosie's Own, both out on Perpetual Doom. Those links to Perpetual Doom, Little Wings, Lee Baggett, and the band camps for those two artists are in the show notes, all things in the show notes. Please... Check out, always look at the show notes, everything in there. Also, speaking of the show notes, I produced an album with Adam McKay, filmmaker Adam McKay, and Sub Pop Records called The 11th Hour Songs for Climate Justice. Little Wings is on that album, along with 20 other great, or 19 other great artists like Fake Fruit, The Cloud Nothings, Death Valley Girls, Moby, Mud Honey, uh, Frankie Cosmos, a long list, Oceanator. Uh, it's just, uh, Deerhoof, it's a long, just, the link is in the show notes, you could go buy it, 100% of the proceeds go to the Climate Emergency Fund, which funds activists who are out there on the, on the ground fighting for climate justice, please buy the album, it is, uh, all the money goes to a great cause, and I'm very excited and proud that I was able to work with so many great artists who gave freely their music to this cause. Uh, like Kyle Field of Little Wings. Uh, I think that's it about the show notes. If you, by the way, uh, all my most of my episodes have part twos. I have a Patreon if you want to become a supporter, $5 a month. Get you part twos of episodes. Um, a lot of my earlier episodes, I didn't break them down into 
uh, part two. So there's like just extended episodes. I'm going to one of these days go back and edit some of those into part twos to make it easier for listeners. Uh, but also blogs, videos, all kinds of stuff. $5 a month to become a Patreon subscriber really helps out the podcast uh, for as it is, you know, not an easy thing to do just for the... But I would do it because I love it. And obviously there's a lot of people who don't pay for the podcast. But if they don't and you can't, because I get it, I have been financially insecure in my day. Uh, you could tell a friend about the podcast. That would greatly... That'd be helpful. That'd be helpful. That that's that goes a long way, uh, or share it on social media. Say, hey, this guy talked to this guy and that guy or that person or that individual, and uh, it was great, and that will help me out a lot. Also, uh, I mentioned my website, themattdwyer.com. All things for me. You could go to that's where you could link up to my Patreon, social media, as well as if you need a website. My partner Kelly R. Dwyer makes websites. Link is in the show notes. She does a lot of big things, podcasty websites and bands and politicians, you name it. She has made a website for it. And I mentioned Perpetual Doom. I'm going to mention Perpetual Doom again. Uh, Lou from Perpetual Doom is going to be a guest in the coming weeks. Uh, great label. A lot of the, the artists from that label have been on the podcast. Some of my favorite episodes are people from Perpetual Doom. Go to the website. It's in my links. Look at the artist. He's really put out some great stuff. One of my favorite artists, Ryan Sambal, who was formerly of the Strange Boys, is out on Perpetual Doom. Also a two-time guest on the podcast. Uh, Ryan is a personal favorite of mine. That's it for my show intro. Please enjoy this great episode with Leaf, Lee Baggett and Kyle Field. Or Lee Field and Kyle Baggett of Beagles and Little Wings and Things and Stuff. You've been working on a new album, right? Or am I crazy? Oh, no. No, you're crazy. And I don't make albums anymore. I make <laughs> NFTs. And they're, I just sell NFTs of ideas of songs that, um, that no one not even the purchaser of the NFT can purchase because I think that's where music is headed is unlistenable um, music where you just buy this song idea that I would um, flesh out and finalize if, if people actually listened to music anymore, but I'm just like, no, it's just a conceptual album, selling it song by song. Um, yeah, I'm working on an album <laughs> tentatively titled Croc O Gold. And um, Shane McGowan's movie was called Croc of Gold. And I think I misremembered it that it was called Croc O apostrophe gold. And it was like, oh, I'll name my album that because I want to make a Leprechaun-esque album. And uh, then I looked back and his was called Croc of Gold. And so I thought Croco Gold still isn't taken, even though I'm sure there, that that's, there's been an album titled Croco Gold before. I don't know. It's news to me. I'll, I, I won't look it up. 
because you're allowed to reuse titles of things. Yeah. Lee Baggett tried calling me. I don't know what we're going to oh. He tried calling my cell phone, though. He didn't. I told him uh-huh. to call into this. Uh, there's a number I gave him that he could call in so he doesn't have to use the Zoom, but I don't know what, what happened. You shouldn't have done that. You gave him the easy way out. He'll, <laughs> he'll always take that. <laughs> we, all, we all will. <laughs> when I recorded with Lee the first time, we had technical issues, so I was, I was anticipating. It, it's par for the course. Okay, he's, he's coming back. It is. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'll be quite honest. I'm. I'm honored to have both of you on to talk about things, and like both of you have been like uh, very popular episodes. So to have you both together, surprising. Surpri- yeah, surprising that you guys were popular. Yeah, I, right. people have messaged me all the time about it. It's uh, that must get annoying. No, it's. Uh, thrilled no it's it's great oh, okay cut you he's coming, like, come, you you're coming through my uh left ear and then i'm coming through my right ear and then matt's in the middle so <laughs> it's a sandwich it, it, it's, opinion wise oh oh conceptually i like yeah. it yeah no, we're far out. I, see if uh, Lee and I are used to just talking to each other in a small car for hours of driving. So we'll see if three's a crowd or three's uh, a party. <laughs> How far back do you two go, Lee? We go uh, back um, about five hundred miles. Wow. Um, and, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was in, uh, around 1999, right? Space 1999. Yeah, that's when we became friends. But actually, even before that, we were kind of in each other's uh, orbit um, through music and stuff, but only from afar. But, yeah, in 1999, we became friends right before Y2K. And uh, I think we were both wearing simple running shoes. And then I asked, I don't know. We, we've we've had our fears that this was going to just sound like, uh, quoting Lee, two old punk rockers talking about the old days or something like that. Or like how you used to not have a GPS device when you toured and you were just looking at a Thomas Guide roadmap and, and how boring and, and, and horrible that sounds to talk about. And so, but I think it could be, if we can get over the self-consciousness of that, maybe we do have a few tales uh, from the past that that we could talk about that would be uh, fun or funny to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, well, when we first met, we were at that coffee shop and, we, and you said, oh, let's, let's leave this and, and we bounded over to your place. And and we started drawing a picture on on uh, one pad of paper, one one piece of paper that you had, right? And, and it was pretty awesome. Well, I, it, it was kind of an immediately creative friendship, and uh, and I think I was like, let's make a let's make a drawing. Okay, here's the pencil. Like you draw something, like make a line, and I won't look, and then. 
I, and then we just took turns out and just drawing one line at a time. You would not look at what the other one did. It was very childish, but in a nice way for being in your 30s or late 20s or 30s. But that's also like a pretty open way to relate to one another when you first, like, because that most people would go, What are you fucking weird? Like, that would most people wouldn't get on board with that. Yeah, I mean, we saw. Kind well, of, we he what we were weird. We were weird for sure, but we kind of saw each other from across the proverbial room, and uh, we consider ourselves in a way to. Uh, Lee is Luke Skywalker, and I'm Han Solo. That makes sense to me. You know, and and we uh we like to jump out of the scene we're in because. Uh, you know, like into the escape shuttle still always. Yeah. So started yeah. that way. And yeah. How did you go from making a drawing together to playing music together though? We're still, we're still trying to do that. <laughs> That's true. I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but um, it's more of a personality thing and, and we can't really practice we, we just have a, a chemistry, I guess, as, as people. And so, and it's kind of a mercurial chemistry. So maybe some of the best moments I've had playing music are with Lee. And in contrast, because you've experienced some of the best, we probably also experienced some of the worst musical moments with each other, I would say. <laughs> when it doesn't work, you know? Like yeah. the Wright brothers making the, the airplane kind of thing. So, <laughs> but did we're it, not one of those um, like um, Simon Garfunkel kind of groups where it's like, oh, it all just clicks so perfect and the harmonies were just like we were like brothers and uh, it it it's more of a a pretty random. Uh, you never know what's going to happen at all. So that's and we like being around each other. So. That's like a huge part of it. It, it. And we make each other laugh. So that goes a long way. And I think We've, Simon and Garfunkel hate each other now. That's the problem. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever worry that was going to come down the pike that you guys would not get along? Or was it not even in the cards? It, it happens, but uh, it, it's usually over in the morning. That's true. <laughs> We've definitely um, clashed uh, before, and uh, and it's been it's been kind of evident, I think, to kind of exciting, I think. Yeah. Because do you think there's like an innate trust? Because I have a guy that I've 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 worked with on and off for decades now, and like there's just sort of a trust. Like if he feels strongly about something, I'll give in to my opinion if he's adamant enough about it, and I'll be like, okay, we'll try it. Do you have that sure. sort of symptom? Oh, yeah. For sure. We don't yeah. have to make that many decisions together, though, to be honest. Yeah. Because we both work on our own records, and we'll bounce off ideas, um, but it's very little compromise. It's more like I'm thinking about doing this with my next, you know, album or whatever, and we kind of push each other or cheer each other on. With our yeah, and I was just thinking uh, how how lucky I was to have uh, a, a friend who who was so 
um, could just takes the brilliance of a flash and just give it a tilt. And, and he's the only one that can really do that. You know, it's like when the, when the Beatles had the picture of the, um, that, that one album, uh, rubber soul and, and they were going to take a picture and then it just fell back a little bit. Just to, and then, the, Oh no, that's perfect. Like where it's just tilted. Just that little tilt is just the, is the best thing. And, and, and Kyle is the guy that does the tilt. It's for me. It's hard to find a. I mean, like you collaborate with people throughout the years, but it's hard to find somebody that you actually feel like you connect to, and there's almost sort of. I don't know. I don't want to sound corny, but like a psychic connection or like a soulmate yeah. creatively. Yeah, oh, there's there's a crazy psychic connection and weird things happen. Like this, these cosmic weird things happen all the time when we're doing stuff yeah when you're on stage together do you feel is there is that link up even more so sometimes and sometimes not <laughs> <laughs> like a ouija board <laughs> yeah 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 do you like when you're performing together and has it been a while since you two have done a show together not that long i don't think no no not that long maybe a few it had been a while. It, it, it had been a while and through the whole pandemic. And then our, our first show together was on this giant stage in the sunlight um, at noon after the main band played, after not playing in, in a few years and not hardly seeing anybody. And then we're thrown up onto this stage playing songs we've never played together before without a bass player. And uh, so that was, that was a little getting fried. But I think it's like, you know, leg weights or something. <laughs> did you just get up cold or did you have, did you? No, we practiced for a few days and, and still kind of. Um, I got up cold because I froze the whole night through. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Outside. But that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I would say our kind of, one of our pedigreed kind of trips comes from this really long tour we did in 2005 that sort of cemented something that I think lasted two months where we played pretty much every night for two months in US and Europe and uh, and that one is still and, and I think we learned a lot on that trip and I think we thought we were kind of putting up this route that we were going to keep doing for the rest of our lives. And then at some point when you're playing that many nights and you're, you're out um, doing that, you also kind of realize maybe I, this isn't what I want my life to be night after night. And that doesn't necessarily mean you can't keep making music, but the industry would tell you that you have to get out there and grind the pavement and play, you know, this so many shows a year and this and that and so i don't know there was a lot of formative stuff that i feel like happened when back then when the ambition was pretty conventional and we were we were kind of like trying to play by the rules of of you know what is normal and it was pretty fun too to see how far you could go or push yourself but you also 
for us at least, we're probably a little hypersensitive as a lot of people are. And I think we went a little crazy out there too. <laughs> and and then we did the one we'd been playing for a while that time. And then the, the our tour manager guy and then in Amsterdam, we played it as a show and we just kind of went, we just took it to the limits. Like, you know, it was just us two. And then it's like stepping on the, the distortion box and getting kind of irony maidenly. And, um, and he said, uh, Oh God, I'm going to make you, you guys in my art project now. <laughs> the tour manager said that at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Dirt. That was special. <laughs> that was on Christmas Eve in Amsterdam. We were, we were yeah. on Christmas Eve and then we gigged in like the Hague, like out near the ocean on Christmas day at like a bar. And there really was a certain rodeoness to playing every single day. Um, that I, I actually think we thrived in and liked, but almost nothing else exists. Like home doesn't exist. And then it's hard to come home after you've completely separated from it. I, I felt, but I, I do like the kind of feeling of, Oh, how long's the drive today? Um, okay. What time is this? And that you have very few worries in a way. And I feel like, we probably played some of our best shows then in a way where we were playing every single night that way. Where you, where you're, where you're comfortable and then you do have the, you, you can't experiment in that comfort and it allows you to do that. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And that was just a joyful feeling being in Amsterdam um, on Christmas Eve. You yeah, Christmas Eve. The Christmas Eve feeling exists everywhere, or something. Yeah, that's a while. Did you do you miss family when you're out that long? And because I know that world a little bit, I've been on the road a lot. Where and then it just becomes like this momentum that is hard. There's like it's that's your reality, and there is no other reality. There is no sitting still. Right. Either one of us had family at that point. Um, per se. And so we were more in danger of making mistakes out in the world. Um, at that point. At least you get to leave yeah. the mistakes. Well, that's the danger is you think you left it and sometimes they follow you. There was some scary um, mistake possibilities that you could just step on and fall down a wormhole of unknownness and well, not come back. Yeah. Also very concrete ones like me letting me giving someone on the street in Arizona some money and then just saying, ah, oh, heck just come stay in our uh, hotel room. Um, don't, don't sleep outside tonight. And him, smoking something i think i gave him my bed and i slept on the floor and this was at the end of almost a month of u.s touring and maybe i started giving him more money uh, yeah yeah i was in the i was in the room and you said oh oh you, you popped in with him like oh here's my friend like he into our little teeny room uh he's gonna spend the night with you and here here he's gonna sleep next to you and i'll be back in a little bit <laughs> Yeah, and then we woke up in the morning, and I had been sleeping on with the envelope of money and checks from colleges and this and that, 
um, under my pillow. And I woke up in the morning. It was like a very Tom Sawyer-ish story. And I, I pulled up my pillow and I grabbed the envelope and the envelope was completely empty. <laughs> and then I said, Lee, he took all our money. <laughs> and we both started crying. Were you? And, and that went. We money, had that money. We lost like five thousand dollars or something. Oh yeah, fuck. That was. And then uh, we we carried on with the with the car. We had the three hundred dollar car we bought and back east because our other uh, Greg Owen left us there in a. Uh, he was our touring buddy at the start, and something happened. He left us, so we we bought a, our friend's beat up car, and and that was in Arizona. And then we made it back to Kyle's place before we had to fly to Kyle's uh, mom's place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His mom's place, and the car just died. Like it wasn't going to go anywhere for years after that. And uh, but then we we flew to Europe, and and so. We didn't need any money. That's a, uh, that's like a road movie. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bit of a punk story, I guess. You, I mean, you're lucky you didn't pick up like a Manson type, or maybe maybe Lee, it was. Lee was Lee was close <laughs> enough. <laughs> how about how about I guess you never gave up your room or your bed again. Uh, yeah, I was a little no. more careful, but I probably tried to positively twist it into, uh, uh, make me a vessel or, oh, I was used as an instrument to help that, that guy or something. No, I, I probably had to give up, uh, probably, probably the next week a couple of times, right? Uh, oh. and and I just, I just sleep in the bed with Dirk. <laughs> Who's Dirk? Oh, he was the tour manager at oh. the time. Okay. Well, <laughs> it was all worth it, though. It was fine. It was I. Uh, I was. It was kind of a training, then. So. Yeah, I mean, you got on the other side of that. It's not. I don't know those those sort of moments. Like I, I was just saying to my partners, like you know, we've been through so much shit that like I don't get scared anymore. Like I, I under, I understand my resilience, and that not much is going to intimidate me after all the shit we've been through. That's a good thing about getting older. Yeah. <laughs> when you guys are tour doing these tours, is it as beagles or is it in like as as little wings? We've uh, we've actually never done a Beagle show. Really? No, that's not true. There was one, and <laughs> we realized uh, it was at What the Heck Fest or the Unknown Festival or whatever the name of it was at the time, Lee, and uh, it was when we slept in the windy tent in Carl's backyard. <laughs> when I yeah. Down, and then uh, and then we played uh, at the Croatian Club as the Beagles. With oh yeah. Jana on drums and maybe after that we said never again. Almost it doesn't make sense to bill it as Beagles per se. Well, we, I mean we we still I would still love to. We still 
I mean, we could we could we plan to uh, set up the stage with driftwood and and light a fire and um, things like that, and be I'll have all the guys who are the Beagles, and it, it'll happen. And, and uh, no, it's going to be picture be fair jamboree with with beach bums instead of um, ursine mammals. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and we'll we'll do it on a, in indoors on a stage or outdoors. But I was just thinking how um, it never it never really sounds good when you play a guitar on the beach. Like I'd rather hear the sounds of the beach and an acoustic sort of. For sure. Was there? But, yeah, I don't know. Just out of my own, I, not to make you tell old punk rock stories, but what is the story behind "Hello" from that album, from from the "By the Beach" album? Um, which one is "Hello"? It's the. It's like Lee calling his mom asking for money, I believe. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that is actually our friend Brian Malloy doing an imitation of a Lee-like character. <laughs> and um, he was good at, at just hitting record on a tape recorder and improvising something. So that was him. And that was kind of the origins of, of the Beagles because we were made a little funny little movie of Brian's um, in where, where he's in Carlsbad or whatever, and uh, and it was really super fun and 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 I think that would 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 almost be the origins. The leaping off point, and well, and then that went into you and I and Luce driving around in my truck. I think we had played in Santa Barbara or something, and and we were recording and driving and uh, improvising with each other on the cassette. And I'm fairly certain that you made up the, the band name The Beagles, but not the spelling. And I think I spelled it B-E, new word, G-U-L-L-S. But I think... That's you your said, tilt. That was my tilt, exactly. And the, <laughs> and I, but I think you said, it's the, it, it's the Beagles. Like, and, uh, <laughs> and I don't remember. <laughs> you came up with that live on that tape recording or if I think so yeah, yeah. You said this what the band should be called but I'm pretty sure it was just yeah. live on the tape recording and we were definitely in those days um very very funny <laughs> yeah yeah we lived in the same city that's right well, that's not true. You lived in Avila Beach. I lived in San Luis Obispo. But same county. Well, it's the same place to me. That's true. Kyle, um, you... <clears throat> Go ahead, Kyle. No, no. I didn't have anything. Oh, I was just going to ask you, did you grow up in San Luis Obispo? Or that's the bulk of your life was there? I did not. And it wasn't necessarily the bulk. It was just kind of my flagship town that... Um, that I adopted as the place I was from, sort of. And that's where, but that's basically where you met Lee. Correct. Was Lee, did Lee have a, because I've seen the old videos of Lee shredding. Mm-hmm. Did his reputation sort of uh, precede him, as they say? I had definitely heard of the bands that Lee was in when I got to town. 
um, and he was already playing. You did you play in Big Fro, Lee? Yeah, yeah. That I was, mean, that that was the first band I ever heard of. Um, out just kind of maybe saw a flyer, and so I definitely heard tell of different bands he was in and new people tangentially separated. Um, I like to stay on the fringes though. And, yes. and that's more comfortable for me. And uh, we had, um, I had my band with Wes Gomez 19 and, and Kyle had Rodriguez. And I'm like, and I, and I was like, what is in with it with these band names? Like, yeah. what is that? <laughs> and, and I felt, uh, like we had already played slow brew opening up for bottle who was like the college alternative rock band of, of the town, um, a la Truman's water or Sonic youth or something. And, uh, so we almost got like a really good gig, like our second gig in town. But then like, once I moved there, I started learning more about these slightly more underground bands in town. And I felt just as intrigued as I did from back home, like, um, which was only a few hours away, but I always loved the, the, not the, I don't want to say underdog sounds like a, a disc, but like local music has always had a certain feeling no matter where you are. And, um, a band that, is kind of underground or, or slightly cult. There's just, there's a romance and a mystery to that that will always um, be nostalgic and exciting to me um, growing up. And the idea of even finding out about a band, that a band was almost undiscoverable because they were so unambitious with their sound or their promotion that's that and that's where the the mystery is it was is is was fun yeah and 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 the slow for me being there a little bit before Kyle and onward i there was there was bands everywhere for in my life i think that it'll never be that many music this organic like happening and i i don't really see that maybe it's just my age too but um that's where it, where it was. Yeah, definitely. I'd love discover. And like, I went down a wormhole with somebody about like, there's like so many bands from Cleveland that were legendary in Cleveland, but they just didn't give a fuck about anything beyond <laughs> Cleveland. And it's, and I went and found a bunch of them and they're fucking great. And you, you listen to it and you're like, well, this could be, this could have been, you know, as big as I don't know anybody or whatever. Not that that's a way of thinking, but like it's just astounding to me that that whole history lives in that city and no one really knows about it except for Clevelandites or Indians. And and then late and later on, you like twenty years later, you like oh no, you were with them and and they and then someone else knows and they they saw saw them too and and that kind of is pretty special. Lee was in a band. Pre-Nirvana, that was pre-grunge, that was grunge. Fever Tree, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was, uh, yeah. Does any of that, does any of that live still? Fever Tree music? Is there any recordings of that? I I, I did make a, a, a CD of, of that I found, a, a cassette, and I actually was able to turn it into digital, and where I 
um, some of it was recorded like we're in a little shack I lived and we got an extension cord um, to the the house next door got abandoned. Okay, we don't need to know how to. Just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't. It's, no, no, never mind. I yeah, like no. this. I love hearing extension cord stories. And if there's any purpose in all of them, bring them. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I will. I will. I will present some of that to you. I would. Sometime. I would just love to hear it because I love that. Would be that. A nice thing to throw up on Bandcamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. I uh, barbecue from King Kong and Barbecue Show played me a bunch of like vague music from the '60s that was like pre the Doors, but sounded exactly like the fucking Doors, and it's just kind of. In, wild that these you know other people would have the sound but then everyone goes well it's the doors it's like no there was a bunch of bands that they probably in la that they probably were influenced by and and yep i mean that's the same almost with all of with any um practice in humanity as far as like surfing or this or that like some one person will get picked as kind of the statuesque version of this larger movement and say that they invented it, but, you know, but, and that's, yes. I think yeah. that's coming to me too. That's to be like, this is the one it's like, you make well, one person. Yeah. Product. yeah. And, and it's all, it's all just floating in the air at that time. And, and, uh, I was I was make we make a joke about a fever tree song that goes let the man out don't let the cat out of the bag and I made a joke today like oh the dog's belly was making noise and and let let the man out of the the dog um, but um like then I was just thinking like why was I saying let the man out um, because like it seemed like there was a maybe grunge songs like oh the man the man in the box or the man and the, whatever. <laughs> And, um, but I, I was just thinking how exciting it was because we had let the man out and then, and then, and when it came to, of, of the bag, that was the turn. <laughs> but, uh, that was the reveal. Yeah. 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 And then who are, who is saying this and why do you have a man in the bag? Yeah, <laughs> but it was, it, yeah, yeah, and it was just floating around in the air, so, yeah, going to back what you were saying, it was just, there's, there's things that are in the air in that time that, that uh, are just going to be part of it, like, right, so, yeah. I, I, yeah, go on. Oh, I, it was, I was just going to extrapolate on that, it wasn't very important, really. Let's be really hard on ourselves and make it really interesting. <laughs> well, I was gonna, there's the hundredth monkey theory of like, you know, after a hundred monkeys start using tools, then monkeys on the other side of the planet also start doing it. And it's sort oh. of like this collective consciousness. Oh yeah. Light bulb, the light bulb. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what it's like, you know, there's supposedly like jazz wasn't just happening in new Orleans. It was happening in other places, but new Orleans always gets the, to that that's where it started, but I guess other people were also doing it. So it's it's just interesting how it lands and someone gets ownership of it. It is very interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about. Um, I was listening to the the second Sinead O'Connor record kind of recently because it has a sentimental, nostalgic place for me, and and I love it. And and I r- didn't really realize how 
informative her sound was to kind of birth the sound of the cranberries. And the cranberries were almost like based on Sinead O'Connor's sound. And then they became this massive thing. And, uh, yeah, like well, it has something to do with what we're talking about. Come on. <laughs> well, nostalgia is an interesting thing to me because <clears throat> I think when people sometimes like music, there's a nostalgia to it. Like, like you said, like that album means something to you because it's from a certain place in a certain time. And uh, so, for me, it's hard to discredit music when somebody loves something because I'm like, I don't know what emotional connections they have to that or what their history sure. with that song is. For sure. Here's an abstract sort of question because we were talking about scenes and like, which I love. Like, do you think like the internet and like because of Bandcamp that local scenes might not exist as much as they used to because we're such a internet based music culture now? I don't know if they need to exist as much, but I still feel like people are having the same kind of struggles figuring out how to play and it doesn't seem like it's changed that much to me. Um, if you're in your twenties or just starting out, I feel like it's still like, I played a show with some people in their 20 twenties, like a few weeks ago that was put on by the college radio station, um, there in Santa Barbara. And it felt super familiar. It felt like I've, I've been at a show almost exactly like this 20 or 30 years ago, which almost is tangentially the same as that hundredth monkey theory that you're talking about in that um, indie music scenes don't change that much over decades because they're these kind of people that maybe don't completely fit in with like going to the whatever mainstream party or the frat party and, and they're all a little unique and maybe a teeny bit awkward and a little bit introverted and want to go and listen to some music they've never heard before. Like that's a certain kind of person. And you're not going to really know what the music is in, until you actually are there in person with it. Like even if there's little videos and stuff, I think, you know, right. So, yeah. So experiencing live music is what topic today. Um, I'm here with Lee Baggett <laughs> and uh, Dewier. Am I saying that right? Uh, it's, uh, wait, Dewier. Vienna. Um, <laughs> weird. Dewier. It's a Dewier. <laughs> Dewier. <laughs> but um, yeah, experiencing live music is what it's all about, as far as that timeless. Uh, Topic yeah, on the tip of our tongue. It is. It's it's wild. When I saw you play in L.A., Kyle, and I think I mentioned this to you afterwards, and this also applies to you, Lee, is like the the age range of your audience. And I've had people of all ages mention that Lee's been on my podcast, and it's pretty wild that it's like I there was kids so young at your show, Kyle. It speaks to the reach of what you both are doing i would say it, it hopefully it does it could but there's no way of knowing because it's this this um the times we're living in is that also just the internet that more people have more access to more things and we were used to people in their in uh, indie rock shows being in 
being like 23 years old. I don't know, but I don't think there's any way of figuring it out. Yeah. You have, you have to go there in person. Right. But I mean, but, yeah. I mean, it's I. It's exciting when a wide age range is there. Um, and, um, and I also, yeah, that's all. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I avidly, you know, searched for music when I, it was just different because I'd have to go to a record shop or get a zine and maybe the internet's just a big zine. How about that? How's that for a concept? I like it. I like it. I, I like to think of it that way. Yeah. But it's, and I, I think it should be that way for, for musicians or artists and that. Yeah. I don't, I just, I had friends who were my age who like, talk, I've heard them be like, well, you know, it's easier to find music now and there's easier to find a scene. And I'm like, it's not, it's not easy to find stuff still. It's all there, but you have to, f you still have to f seek the stuff you like. And like, especially for, you know, you have to work at it a little for sure. Yeah. Huh? Still to find it. Like, like, the, um, I didn't know Mudhoney had played the Capitol Theater here a few, a few months ago until the next day. And I'm like, dang, if I was walking around downtown, I would have known. <laughs> right. Would you have gone? Oh, yeah, I would have for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but now I know where to look on my phone to see if any that kind of stuff is happening. But I, I'll probably miss another one somewhere else nearby yeah uh by accident just as a side thing i meant to say this when you first were on lee before we got cut off your new album is fucking incredible oh thanks thanks you know i uh i i put it i put the vinyl on compared it to another record and um and it this it, it sounded really juicy and uh the sound it, it, it is it is nice and you know, it, it came together kind of just like, like magic swirled, you know, jam. Oh, these guys are going to be here then. Okay. Let's all, let's all go meet and when we'll record. And, and it was just a couple of days and, and they didn't know the songs, but it seems like they knew the songs and, and, uh, they, so yeah, it was, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. It, it took a long time for the vinyl to come around, but here it is. <laughs> I felt like that was, maybe I live in a, time warp but i felt like it was a fast turnaround between albums it was well you know what it, it it was it was it was by the time it came out it was long long time for me and then and then i was like i was just like looking at stuff and i'm like well and, and i was just like looking at the producer for rush out albums um terry brown and um and and he when he was doing the producing they had an album come out every half a year like like there was like you know Crested Steel, then Twenty One Twelve, and then and 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 that's in with the world tour tour involved, um, you know. And I, I just it like someone like the Doors, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I just it kind of a I'm kind of amazed at how long in this day and age to make to have something you know a quality product, uh, material product how. Long it takes. It's true, but Rush only has like seven songs on their record. Yeah, I thought at least I, two albums have. Like, just, is that, 
It was just we don't a need thinker. to talk about Rush. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You brought it up, but I, I, I was, okay. Yeah. I'll always bring up Rush, but I love it. It's super comforting. Are you? Do you like Rush? I'm, I'm a Rush head. I mean, I I used to be. I but the thing is, I I don't know any of the albums after Terry Brown. So, but um, that's fine. That's it. That's. I don't want to talk about Rush. Okay, we want to. I, I, it was we can my, though. Oh no, I was just curious because it's because when I like the thing I experienced is like when I became a pseudo punk rock kid, I I started disliking certain music because I felt like I had to as a punk rocker, and Rush would. But I still probably still don't care for Rush that much. Well, it's just it's just um, when. Uh, they they started uh, making or just had a different producer. Then then it was like two years between albums, and and and, and I don't even know what those albums. I even have a, I have no clue what those albums sound like, and and no ones before that. And I know every little note. So, yeah. I think what Lee offers me sometimes is this window into a very pure era of rock and roll culture in California, late seventies, early eighties. Um, that feels timeless to me. And so his appreciation of that, of that time keeps it alive and helps me see it without the judgmental veil of coast punk music or this or that. Um, and I've talked about kind of in the last few years now mashup, like the way culture has been mashed up. Um, now kids are into Grateful Dead and hip hop and heavy metal and punk rock. And, but back then in our generation, you kind of more had to decide because it was such a part of your identity. So if you liked, um, you know, if you liked punk music, you, you could not like the Grateful Dead or admit it. But at the same time, um, Greg Ginn from Black Flag loved the Grateful Dead proudly, like during the, the time of Black Flag. But that was rare back then as far as at least fans or people having to dress like what music or what scene they were a part of, you know? It honestly, it took me a long time to get understand the Grateful Dead, even though I saw them play and I saw the dead play in 80. I came back. Thank you for coming back. Lee Baggett. I almost was great. Oh, maybe this is my cue. For <laughs> we, were ta- no. No, okay. we were talking about punk rock and, and, the Grateful Dead and how when we were younger that you had to identify with a certain kind of music. You couldn't have a fluidity to your taste. How was that fluidity to your taste? That was pretty good. Wasn't it Kyle? I, (laughs) (laughs) but I had to get co I had to be convinced that I would like the Grateful Dead. And then I finally got on board, which a lot of people Albini still isn't on board and you're both from Chicago. He He refuses. And uh, were you into Naked Ray Gun? I, I was like a little bit. They, I was more into what came after Naked Ray Gun, which would be Shellac, Jesus Lizard. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, and I was, you know, Fugazi, but like locally that was into that. And, uh, Tim Rutilli, of course, Tim Rutilli's music. Yes. Do you have, um, uh, we were in Chicago. What do you mean? We, we saw, we went to the 50th anniversary and, and, um, we're grateful that me and Kyle did in Chicago at Soldier Field. Yeah. Yeah. The very last show. Wow. I mean, well, not, I mean, not not with Jerry. Yeah, I was going to say. I did see Jerry, but I wasn't, uh, I saw them in like 86 to show my age. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably, <laughs> you probably, you probably weren't tripping. I wasn't. Uh, I had. That's. That's what. That's I, why you had to get convinced later on. Like, no, it was good. <laughs> that's what everyone told me. I probably would. I'd loved going to the parking lot where everybody lived. Like that whole that world fascinated me more than what was. It was. Fa- it was that was fascinating part. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Super fascinating. When I you, you see that for the first few times when you're a young person and you're like, it is it is intriguingly and mysterious and strange and wonderful and yeah. I've seen. Oh yeah, I've seen Trey Anastasio. Pardon me if I mispronounced twice because my friend dragged me to a fish show in Ventura in '94. No, 1998, and I saw like patient zero of the, the Wook culture back then. And as far as the parking lot scene goes, and he was he had a big a long beard. I don't know what he was on. But he was walking and his girlfriend was walking behind him and they were just like on a mission to get more or just like walking. But he was in tennis whites, like filthy tennis whites. So he looks like an East Coast tennis college tennis player who had like dosed, gotten dosed and then just like never took off the tennis outfit, but this is like rumple still skin, like five months later with a beard. It was pretty awesome. See that, that is so fascinating to your young mind. I want to know the story. That is fucking incredible. It was cool. But I didn't love fish. People love fish, but I I couldn't get into it. And I was already into the grateful dead then, but uh, I, I didn't totally get it, but that's not what we're talking about. Trey was so cool, sober Trey <laughs> at 50th Grateful Dead. Was oh, so cool and uh, so uh, joyful. Let Trey sing. Let Trey sing. Why do you think people are so stubborn with the Grateful Dead? Or, like, why can't Opini? Like, I, it's like, too, like some people who like are completely anti jazz, and I'm like, why? Like what? Why are you anti an entire genre or a band that created music for forty fucking years? I I think uh, maybe maybe they they see people that are just nuts about the band, and 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 they they're like maybe offended by this people some some people in tie dye getting all like <laughs> super nutty. <laughs> I mean, there is the punker hate hate hippie thing. Yes. It, yeah. It, it gets less and less attractive the older you get, though. It, it, it kind of feels like a little pubescent to me. I agree. Uh, 
once you mm-hmm. get to 50s, it seems a little like immature. I don't, I don't do it. No. No. I'm, I'm trying to be open to all music, even if, and revisit something that I had pre, like, judgments about. Like, I'm like, maybe I was wrong. And a lot of the shit I liked as a kid that I thought was cool and tough, I can't listen to. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I don't, I find that my judgment was actually correct sometimes because there, something would be hyped and then, like, I listened to it now and I remember doubting it and I was like, yeah, this is not good. I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, and then like before you're, you're knowing that it was right, then you're, you're like, oh, maybe I'm dumb for doubting that. Like, and then, but then you like look back now and you're like, no, I was right. I was, yeah, yeah that, that, that's the best feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 